The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to be inspired, uplifted, and motivated to greatness? It's time for Star Style. Be the star you are. With your effervescent personal growth coaches, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and health specialist, Heather Brittany. Define your vision, discover your passion, and design your future in this power-packed hour of life-changing talk radio. Featuring authors and success experts dedicated to helping you achieve the results you deserve. Be entertained, edutained, encouraged, and empowered. Smile, have fun, and celebrate you. Explore your potential and embrace your possibilities with your hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on Star Style. Be the star you are, starting right now. Hello, hello, Power Partners, and welcome to Radio's Finest Hour of Power. It's Star Style. Be the star you are with me, Cynthia Bryan. And me, Heather Whitney. And we are always thrilled to be your personal growth success coaches right here on the airways with you every single week. We know you have a plan for your life. You've set your goals. You know where you want to go. And we want to help you get there to shoot for the stars and ignite your power. Well, we have you on our radar, and today we have a fantastic show coming right up for you. It is going to be a trip to Mexico, to San Jose de Cabo. We'll let you in on a vacation that Heather and I just took, and then we're going to take you to Rome for some fascinating historical insights on popes of the past and also the new announcement of our pope from South America, Plus, we'll go into the Spring Garden for some March miracles and study the architecture of trees. So we want you to sit back, relax, and put a smile on your face because Star Style Be the Star You Are is here to edutain you. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you for writing, speaking, and media interviews. Call 925-377-STAR. Or visit StarStyleProductions.com to book your session because you can be the star you were born to be. This is from Wayne Dyer, one of my good friends and such a motivational person. Motivation is what happens when you take hold of an idea. Inspiration is what happens when an idea takes hold of you. So, Heather, we're always filled with inspiration and motivation Mm -hmm. here, right? Exactly. (laughs) just but before we go uh, down south to Baja, I wanted just to announce again, there's only two days left for voting for me, Cynthia Bryan, in the 2013 Sustainable Female Leader Award so that Be the Star You Are Literacy Charity can win $500. I go to btsya.com and click on enter. You'll see an announcement that says vote. It's really easy, especially if you log in with Facebook. 
So you can vote today and you can vote tomorrow before 5 p.m. Eastern. And we really want you to. You, it's been spring break and most uh, a, a big majority of our supporters at the charity have been on break and many without Internet connections. So, you know, we're a little bit behind at the moment, but if you take the initiative and vote right now, you will help Be The Star You Are charity sustain it's charitable outreach to so many. So thank and, you so much. Yeah. And it's just uh, something else, too. If you do sign in with the Facebook, a lot of times all you have to do is say, it'll ask you to sign in with Facebook. You sign in with your Facebook. Once you, and it's a symbol, then you just hit click. Um, then it will ask you, you know, do you want to share this on your page? Go ahead and say yes. Put it on your page and just say, hey, guys, just click here and vote for this. That simple. And you can spread the word to other people. Oh, Heather, that's a great idea. Thank you for that. Because, you know, it doesn't cost anybody a penny to do it. It only takes a minute or two. And, you know, I know it's not much money. $500 doesn't sound like very much at all. But when you are a volunteer at a charity like Be The Star You Are that does so much good for teens and women and family, it just really makes a difference because it's 100% supported by donations and it's an all-volunteer charity with no paid people so all the money that any anything that comes in actually goes to programs well let's get to some fun stuff heather and i have just returned this past sunday from a glorious few days of r&r in san jose de cabo in baja california and we wanted to share our vacation with you and take you on a little road trip with us and give you the details on the good the bad and a little bit of ugly the trip was uh, my Christmas and pre-wedding gift to Heather, her fiancé, and, of course, to my husband. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's a fiancé. He's not a fiancé, <laughs> though, right? <laughs> We've been around a while. Anyway, we arrived on Sunday of the final day of the Ironman competition, and, of course, we didn't know this was happening. It took us over three hours to go. I think it's a whopping Six miles. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah, With all the roads closed. Make it fun is what we did while we were driving. We tried to take a side road, which didn't make any difference. We're in bumper with traffic. So since we were literally at a standstill, we hopped out. We got some beers. We hopped back in the car. So we actually had a great laugh and a fun time the whole way there. You know, uh, we, we bought little, back, you know, little snacks. It was yeah, it, we, it was St. Patrick's Day, and we wanted to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, and literally the cars were stopped. So you could just stop. You know, we were just stopped. So we sort of decided we're just going to have a good time the entire time. But the what we when we got there and are the we stayed in two different places, and both were absolutely fabulous. And we want to tell you about that and some of the restaurants and just some of the things that we did. So, Heather, I will let you start. The, our first stop was a couple of days at Cabo Azul, which was a um, something well, that I had yeah, it's, I'd I'd seen it on Travel Zoo. Both places I will definitely recommend. First, getting to Cabo Azul, it was amazing. It's a resort, so it's kind of big, but all the places, um, we were up on the third or fifth story, we and the, it's almost yeah, the like a little story, condo. It's a beautiful, um, we stayed in a room out, out looking in the water, a beautiful wraparound um, deck or porch, as you would call it. So gorgeous. What, um, it is kind of bigger, so there's possibly, I think it can probably accommodate like a thousand people in the whole hotel. It has that resort thing. But still, you know, you did feel the privateness. You're right on the beach. They have this amazing pool that has 
a fire pit in the middle of the water. And, what and it's, is three, that it's actually three swimming pools, three infinity pools, starting, exactly. they start with a waterfall and a hot tub, and then the warm water runs into the next pool, which is warm, and then it gets, um, cl- as it gets closer to the ocean, it gets cooler. So that, it was really great, and a lot of the Ironman people are there, and Heather and I are not really resort people. We always just usually rent a house or a condo when we travel, but this truly felt wonderful. This was one of the nicest places. It, it was, it was just so great, and these fire pits were amazing, and fire everywhere at nighttime. The whole place was, was lit it up. It was gorgeous, and I have to say that customer service was amazing. Everyone was so fantastic. And what was great, too, is you're really walking distance from both places that we say, really walking distance from everywhere. And a crazy thing, when we had been to this area about 15 years ago, it was a little sleepy old town. Now, you know, it's, it's definitely calmer. It's not Cabo, so, you know, it's not flooded with tons of people. It is up and coming, more busier now, but it still has this community and really neat kind of cosmopolitan. There's a lot more going on there. And what was great Well, I was really shocked, Heather, was about how many American things are there now. There are, we were, there was never a supermercado. The supermercado was like a little small building when I first went to this area like 20 years ago. And, you know, and it just had all local stuff. Now there's a mega, there's a Walmart, there's a Costco, there's every kind of shopping thing. But as Heather said, San Jose de Cabo has maintained its uh, wonderful downtown. Their, their old town is just still very charming. And the people are so nice and so friendly and everybody is so happy to see you. What was so wonderful, too, getting then to the second place where we stayed. Um, yes, it was called El Zolote. Which was amazing. It was uh, amazing. It was- and I want to give a shout-out right now to the owners, um, to Bob and Molly. Hello, Bob and Molly. It's Cynthia and Heather. <laughs> that Because I found this on Travels, I mean, on uh, TripAdvisor, because I'm a writer for TripAdvisor, and it had just been listed as a first-time kind of thing. And it looked really great. And you're always nervous when you go on, um, you know, on the Internet and you find something. You don't know if it's going to be nice or not but this was wonderful it and was, they were just delightful to work for uh, work i would work with but heather i think we should tell them the funny thing that happened when we first got to the condo when we drove down and we talked to the guard and we told him what that we were going to villa one and the number of the the suite that we were going to go to <laughs> and you went in to what you saw, which was... Yeah, the, we saw, the door was unlocked. We walked in, and we walked into the wrong place, but we were like, oh, this is great. Thank goodness we didn't start unloading our stuff because the guard comes and oh, no, this is Villa 4. You need to go to Villa 3. And when we went to our room, was our, our uh, condo was equally as amazing. But and I, so I must funny. say, thought, Heather, oh, my God, we would have... We would have, if, you know, someone was probably, because the door was unlocked, we like, basically just walked into someone's else's house. But getting back to our place, one thing was so awesome. Each of the rooms is basically two master bathrooms and two master bedrooms. Gorgeous, gorgeous rooms. And something that kind of a funny and thing I want to comment with, as both a with positive was the lighting. Um, there's something that, that you met, people may not in Mexico 
Usually the lighting in the room is really, really dim. The first place we stayed was gorgeous, but it was so hard to see at night. One great thing about the lighting here, it was actually like American lighting. The, the whole place lit up, and there was actually these gorgeous kind of light fixtures in one of the rooms. But there was great lighting, and we had a full kitchen, so we went to the supermercado. We we stocked. You would have thought we were living there for a month. We stocked the fridge, so every day... We- Margaritas, we were making ceviche, and we had this beautiful porch that had a barbecue on it. So we actually, we stayed home and we cooked two nights. We barbecued, we had a great a table outside, and we were right on the bottom floor. So we just walk out, we're right at the pool, and the pool is right at the ocean. And the great thing about this is it's smaller, I think they're all privately owned, so there was maybe 15 people there tops, and it was lovely, quiet. It was amazing. Just so beautiful. What's so wonderful, it's so safe. And to know that there is a guard on premises all the time. And both of the master bedrooms faced the ocean and the pool. And being on the ground floor, you were right there. So you go to bed, and this was at both places we stayed. You listen to the ocean, the sound of the waves, which I always love. And Heather lives by the ocean, so she's used to this, but I don't, and I really wish I did. So I actually have an ocean machine that I listen to, but you hear the waves, you see the waves from here. And um, as Heather was saying, though, the one thing that I prefer, because as a writer and a reader, you need a little bit more light, you know, in rooms, and that's, that is really important. But this courtyard was great, the pools were great, there's the hot tubs, the walks, and then just to just to say, so if anybody is interested, I will be writing my reviews on uh, different websites coming up, and then we'll talk about the places, and I'll, we'll also tell you the yeah. restaurants. I Our favorite restaurants. Yeah, a quick shout out. I'm just saying a wonderful experience. It definitely to go is Fuller Farms. It's an organic uh, farm. They make everything there, and the food was amazing. The people was amazing. But a wonderful experience is always on trips. Is the people you meet. We met a wonderful man named Paul Maroon, who owns Maroon Wineries, and we just instantly hit it off. He served us an amazing. I want to say it was a Zinfandel and a Cabernet. Wonderful company. Wonderful wine. Yeah, and, and he was from. Uh, Napa and Valley, and that so was what was so interesting. Food at You're right. I think that what's fun is that Heather actually went over to pet a dog, and then found out that that uh, you know they were serving wine, and they served us their wine, and then they're from Napa Valley, and that's where I'm from as well. So it was really great to meet this other really great restaurants that we liked. We loved Don Sanchez, we loved uh, Forchat, and we also went to, I think it was the Blue Dolphin. We thought Mikasa was and very pretty, but the food was just kind of okay. Yeah, a little tip for people traveling is you can bring wine into Mexico. I think it's, we brought six bottles, but you could bring, I think, eight bottles a person, but when you buy wine in Mexico, it's very expensive, and, the, and some of the wine is really too. not good. But let's just let's just give one tip because we're almost out of time, Heather, about car rentals because we ran into one problem, and it is with a company that I've always loved, Fox Rent a Car, and I'm hoping that they're going to work it out. But um, unfortunately, a lot these rental companies in Mexico are affiliates, so you have to be very cautious. Heather, do you want to just give a quick rundown yeah, on you know, what just, to do? You know, this is the only kind of car, so this is just sort of our, you know, travelers beware. It's renting a car, you know, right when you rent it, they, they kind of walk around the car, show you any dents, and you sign off. 
sign off and everything. Take now. We're in the, the days of technology. Take pictures with your camera phone or even take pictures of everything on the car. Because a lot of times there may be a little scuff or dent. If they don't mark it and they give you the, oh, you know, don't worry about that, you could be in deep trouble. Because we had, when we returned our car, which we were, um, there was a, a slight dent in it prior that we were told, don't worry about it. When we returned it, they tried to accuse that that was us. Even though we had pictures proving it, it was a long, long battle. We're still not concluding with it, but they're trying to charge us something of $800. So it ended, you know, it ended poorly for us, but we're, you know, fighting it right now because, you know, we didn't, you know, it, our thing is, just be so cautious. And the be great cautious. Thing, and what was interesting. Every art, save every receipt. Get copies. And also, if you find yourself in this situation, just don't give in to it. Do what we're doing. Contact. Get The higher you go up, make sure you're going to be mis- um, make this known so that other people are aware of this. And, and it's kind of brought to the attention of the entire company. That's right, Heather. And what was really uh, interesting and why we realize it is a scam is that while we were returning our car, there were two other people at the counter fighting the representatives with the exact same problem um, that they were being accused of denting the car or having something, and they're yeah, being charged eight hundred thousand. Very suspicious things when they see it, and they instantly say how much it's going to be. We feel, right. you know, and and other people have told us that things have happened similar to it. So just if this happens, just beware. Be so. Pictures. And just always fight it. You know, if, if you are but not in the wrong, fight this because otherwise they know that they can just take advantage of people that way. Yes, we definitely want to recommend San Jose de Cabo for a wonderful, wonderful, relaxing beach vacation, walks on the beach, excellent food, lovely people, and really super places to stay. And again, we really recommend both Cabo Azul if you like a resort kind of feeling, and if you're you, you're like us, which we like, you know, we really prefer to have smaller places. We liked El Zalate a lot. So that is our travel report for the day. When we come back from break, we're actually going to Rome, and we're going to be speaking with Peter Eisner, and he is the author of the new book, The Pope's Last Crusade, which really talks about Pope Pius XI and how he tried to stop Hitler from basically annihilating the world. It's a fascinating, fascinating book. So don't you go away. Heather, give out the website. Most definitely, you want to go to BeTheStarYouAre.com as well as BeTheStarYouAre.org. And my name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Rittany. And you're listening to Star Style, Be The Star You Are. We will be back in a bit. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel. And join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com You can express yourself. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. 
get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be the Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org. All donations are tax deductible. www.bethestarur.org. Get ready to be inspired, entertained, and motivated to greatness with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Turn up the volume. Tune in to the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, back to the program with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Well, thank you so much for staying tuned. You are listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are with me, Cynthia Bryan, bringing you the authors, the experts, and the pioneers on the planet. Well, with today being Holy Thursday and Sunday being Easter, it is very appropriate that our award-winning guest journalist and author for today is Peter Eisner. He has been an editor and reporter at the Washington Post, Newsday, Associated Press, and the producer on the PBS news program, World Focus. You may know him from one of his other books, The Italian Letter. He co-wrote that with uh, Newt Royce, but that, and that traces the fraudulent U.S. intelligence uh, prior to America's invasion of Iraq. But his new book is truly a revelation that I had never known about. And I have studied the popes and and a lot of Catholic uh, dogma for many years. It's called The Pope's Last Crusade. And it's an eye-opener into the politics of the Catholic Church. Welcome, Peter, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you, and thank you for writing this book and and going in to do this research and uncovering what has been hidden from our eyes for over 75-plus years. This is really an important work. You really talk about Pope Pius XI and his attempt to stop Hitler's march of annihilation and how there was some undermining that was accomplished from within the Bat- within the Vatican. Before we go really into the um, tenets of the book, tell us, Peter, what interested you and what what got you going on writing this book and researching it? Because this is was a tremendous amount of work that you had to dig up. Sure. Well, there's I think two things. The first thing was this was this was a story that I had never heard about. Pope Pius XI, the first thing you have to say is, was the Pope that was not known. A lot of people, when you say Pope Pius, they think of Pope Pius XII. This is the Pope Pius between 1922 and 1939, a very different person. He was a person that was, was taking a very moral stance. He wanted to fight Hitler. He saw Hitler as a danger, and he saw anti-Semitism growing, and he thought that he had to take a role in the world to awaken people to stop Hitler before it was too late. And what he did, so that was one thing. I had never heard the story. The second thing is that even in the worst moment of, of violence and danger in the world, you find individuals that are willing to put 
themselves up in front and say, something has to be done, I've got to take a moral stand. And that's really the kind of book that I'm interested in, is talking about morality in that way. Well, and like you, Peter, when you when I hear the word pious, I think of Pope Pius Twelfth, And from everything that I had always been taught or read, whether it was in Catholic school or, you know, in any books I'd read, it was, it was really kind of how holy Pope Pius XII was and how good he was. But what you, and I'm, I don't want to, uh, you know, go against that. However, Pacelli was not the man that I thought he would be. He, he had studied in Germany, had been there for 12 years, he spoke fluent German, and he was actually very pro-Hitler. And Pope Pius XI was one of those individuals who absolutely realized that Hitler was out for no good. And I think what makes this book so compelling is that when that encyclical was finally read after all these years, that was... Uh, written or, you know, yeah, written by the American Jesuit uh, John Lafarge, is that that encyclical could have possibly, as well as his speech to the bishop, could have may perhaps stopped or lessened the annihilation that happened in World War II. A lot of historians think that. Pope Pius XI brought in John Lafarge. He was an American Jesuit journalist. And Lafarge had written about racism in the United States, and the Pope was attracted to what Lafarge was doing, and he said, I want you to write about what, what you've said about racism in the United States and apply it to what we see now happening in Europe. This was 1938. The war hadn't started yet, but the Pope, like not enough people, realized that something horrible was about to happen. He brought in John Lafarge. He said, you're going to write something that changes history, and you're going to write the strongest uh, document that we've ever issued uh, in favor of the Jews, saying that Hitler must be stopped. Lafarge started doing that, and it was it was almost it was almost a a, um, a challenge uh, doing it in secret, and many people in the Vatican were trying to stop uh, Lafarge from delivering it to the Pope in time. The Pope was old. The Pope was challenged by those around him. So the, the story really is, is, is almost like a, a mystery and, and a thriller. Will he get it done in time? Can he do it? The Pope was ill. He, he, many people were trying to delay him from doing it, hoping he would die before he would ever issue this thing. Well, and I must admit, this was like a spy thriller because, I, you know, you never think about spies in the Vatican. And you have chronicled how many spies there were in the Vatican that were bishops or cardinals or priests or people that live, uh, that, you know, worked around the Pope. And then the head of the Jesuits is, do you pronounce his name? Lidikowski. Uh, right. He just, you know, I, he just felt so evil to me. The fact that he was to Lafarge's face acting like he was his advocate, but all he wanted was to stop it. And then there's a possible implication that Pope Pius XI could have actually been assassinated or had his, his death hurried on a bit, which it's something you've, I've never heard or you just don't hear about. And his good friend from France really still, you know, believed that right to the end of his days. 
That's right. It, it feels almost like the nonfiction version of Da Vinci Code. It's, it's yeah, that, that much that's exactly that's going right. on there. And you know, so- Peter, I kept waiting. I kept hoping. I kept hoping. Is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? Is it? You know, it was like. But obviously, we all know the ending to that story because we know what Hitler did. It's very sad. Mussolini was was of course in league with with Hitler, and Mussolini uh, was hoping and and even said said to his mistress. Uh, this pope, I hope this pope dies soon. And when the pope died, he was very—he was ill, no question about it. Uh, he had heart problems and such, but he was really trying to stay alive to issue uh, his declaration. And he died the day before he could do it. And uh, the pope's best friend, Cardinal Tisserant of France, said they killed him. He never said who they was. And uh, his. To this day, 75 years later, uh, the Cardinal's uh, memoirs are missing. Uh, right. We don't know where they are. So there's still a mystery this many years later about what exactly happened and then what the Vatican did and didn't do during World War II. So it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. And there's overtones on what's happening now uh, in the, the Vatican also fail, facing moral choices that it has to make. And I want to get to that because I know that you are an expert or a specialist on Latin American Catholicism. You've lived and you've been a journalist in Argentina. So this has to be extremely exciting for you, as it is for the rest of the world. Maybe, maybe not Italy, or but I don't know. But about election of our new Pope uh, Francis, who is non-Italian and non-European. And I want to talk about that implication. But I, before I do, I just wanted to say something from your book. You had one paragraph in here about uh, a report uh, in, from the National Catholic Reporter on the encyclical in 1972 where the editors had said, considering that Hitler had only begun to move into full-scale persecution of the Jews and had not yet begun the planned extermination, and considering that Italy had only begun to copy German uh, Germany's racial law, so that was with Mussolini, uh, that this encyclical, had it been published and was able to get to the masses, may have saved hundreds of thousands or perhaps millions of lives. But, of course, we will never know. But it was very clear that Pope Pius XI was taking a stance. Why did you find anything? Why Pacelli, who became Pope Pius XII, the minute Eleven died, he sealed all his papers, which it seems it included the encyclical, and of course it in- included the speech he was going to give the next day. Was that where? Where do you think Pope Pius? I know this isn't a book on Pius XII, but it did not seem. It just seemed like he was pro-Hitler. Well, it's a very complicated story. One thing was that the Vatican was very anti-communist, and the Russian Revolution had had really uh, gone rampant against Catholics. And this is a case where Hitler was was anti-communist. The Vatican was anti-communist, and there, were, there was a whole faction within the Vatican that said, well, the enemy of our enemy is our friend. And so they didn't, they, you know, in 1938, they saw things happening, but they didn't know what the logical outcome was going to be. And, and, and uh, the, event, the eventual Pope Pius XII, 
who was Eugenio Pacelli, as you said, who was the Secretary of State. He was a he was a very different person. He was he was very diplomatic. He wanted to be quiet. He didn't want to make noise, and he thought that the Pope was being too vocal, and it it frightened him. And so when he became Pope, he responded by 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 suppressing that kind of loud noise. He didn't want to make waves. And how how friendly he was toward Hitler, I don't think so. But I think he was pro, he was pro German and. And he was—he didn't know early on how bad things were going to get, and uh, history shows that there were mistakes made. And I suppose um, with the fear of communism that was, you know, that was becoming rampant at the time, too, that the Vatican was looking at—we don't want Catholics that are going to be repressed or or uh, punished in any way. So, But it, it seemed that there was a lot of anti-Semitism in the church itself, there which was. makes us very sad. I mean, it makes me very sad. I mean, how can you be, how can you call yourself Christian and then, you know, be anti-Semitic or anti-anything? And the, you know, the whole thing that the Jews killed Jesus was sort of the outcry. I mean, that it was just really sad. But let's let's talk about because you have great insights on what's happening now. And were you surprised by this new pope? Uh, were you surprised that an Argentinian would be elected? I can't. I can't. I was surprised more uh, almost because he was a Jesuit. Because there's never been a Jesuit pope. I I view the the new pope as as being first of all very sympathetic. Uh, figure, but he's also um, an Argentinian of, of Italian descent. So, even though there hadn't been, or, and still hasn't been, technically an Italian pope since uh, since Pope Pius VI died, or I guess so, since Pope John Paul I pope. died, yeah, right, uh, who actually was only he was, sadly was only alive for a few weeks uh, after he became pope. I think that 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 he's uh, he's a Comforting, he gives a comforting feeling to to uh, the Italian uh, cardinals as well, and I think that 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 they've opted to have somebody since he's from Latin America to reach out to the largest block of of, of Catholics in the world, you know, in in Latin America, and it's in a moment where where that's that's really something that they want to focus. So I, I think it's a it's a hopeful moment for the church, but they also have choices to make. They have to worry about. Um, administration within the church itself. They obviously have the big problem with with um, child abuse, and and um, that's something right in front of the new pope. How will he deal with it? Will he deal with it strongly? Will he make categorical uh, statements about it? So they, he, he by style, he's attracted everyone, but now he's got a lot of substance to deal with. This is going to be challenging for sure because we are at maybe I, at all times in the period of living we're at a turning point but it just seems that there are more challenges facing the Catholic Church now than ever before and especially with with all of the child abuse that has gone on do you think that this pope do you have any feelings of how he's going to react to for example gay marriage or any of the other, you know, birth control, all these things that the Catholic Church has been pretty staunch about. And I think that in South America there's a big following, but I know here 
in the United States, I think it's getting tougher and tougher for people to accept all the precepts that you're supposed to take as dogma. I don't think that you'll see the Pope make big changes in doctrine within the Church. I think that what you'll see is this very sweet, humble, sincere man speaking to people and attracting them. And the Church will be able to say, you know, you may not agree with all of the doctrine, but you'll you'll see that this Pope is somebody that you can respond to. But I I don't think that any Pope who would have been elected that really would have changed doctrine in a very strong way, either on celibacy for priests, either on abortion, either on reproductive rights, or any of these issues. All of the all of the cardinals, including uh, the former Cardinal Bergoglio, now Pope Francis, were all chosen by two very conservative popes. I don't I don't think you're going to see a change there. It's going to be a change in feeling and style rather than substance, which might not be a bad thing. Well, with popes that, I mean, this is what I think was very attractive to me in reading your book. And we are speaking with Peter Eisner. He is the author of The Pope's Last Crusade, How an American Jesuit Helped Pope Pius XI Campaign to Stop Hitler. And you can visit his website at petereisner.com. But what I was so attracted to Pope Pius XI was because he really was taking a stance, I mean, something that was very unpopular. We don't usually see popes taking any kind of unpopular stance. It is more like what you're saying. Is that? That's right. You're exactly right. You're saying something very important, and I think that the book, for me, speaks across generations. It shows a man that said, yes, I'm the Pope, yes, I'm the leader of of the Catholic Church, but I'm a person that that looks at the world and looks at politics, and I have to make decisions based on what morality is about. How can we be a religious, how can you be a religious leader without taking moral stands that seem evident? In the case of Pope Pius XI, he saw Hitler, he saw him to be evil. He saw, he saw insanity behind him, and he saw the attacks on, on Judaism to, be, to being morally repugnant, and he responded to it. And I think that that, that speaks across the years to us, to, to a new generation for the Catholic Church to say, you know, how can we not respond morally to, to the wrongs that we see around us and even within the Church? So I think that, that for me, as you suggested, the exciting thing was that I was writing about something happening in 1938, and you feel that there's still a relevancy today to it. That's it. I, that's exactly my point. It really felt like it was happening today too. And this is and very very au courant with having this, you know, with having Benedict Benedict step down and this new pope to be elected. You know, we can't just tolerate figureheads anymore. We have to have leaders that take a moral and ethical stance on what is the right thing. And I, this is what I was so appalled at so many leaders during that time, and I'm sure it's still happening today, how it was like just kind of stick with the status quo. And and especially, I've just found the uh, Jesuit uh, leader, Litukowski to be such a shady figure. I mean, just the fact that he was trying to let, you know, allow Pius XI to die so he wouldn't have to do anything with this encyclical. There just seemed to be a lot of lying. Um, and I guess it would be, 
it was more like subterfuge, you know, it was more like hiding things. Yeah, that, yeah that's right. It was, it was a, a, it's a very sad legacy, but it, but in the case of the, of that Jesuit leader of, of the Catholic Church, the, the, Jesuits, the largest order of the Catholic Church, he was on the record as, and, and it can be shown that he was making anti-Semitic statements to the Pope, and the Pope was, was, was knocking them away from it. Uh, from from anything that could be said in public, but that was the sad legacy of of those days, and and uh, it has to change. The one other thing about it is that you know a, a pope, even though the leader of the Catholic Church, can can strike a moral position that talks to everyone. In 1938, there was nobody like the pope, um, there, and and Jews. And others and Protestants were listening to him and and hoping that he would be a voice for sanity and also to to uh, extend out to other world leaders to say we've got to join together and fight and and a pope does at his at his best reach out beyond the religion into into world issues and and that was something that was very important then and I think that's also important now too. I think it's even more important. I mean, I don't want to say more important than that. It was very important then, and it and it's just really tragic that that Pope Pius XI was not allowed to finish his mission and to really make that campaign to stop Hitler and Mussolini a truism. But he he was like he was stopped from inside the the church as well. That's what's the sad part about it. But today we have so many issues happening around the world and if we don't want history to repeat itself it's important that there is a voice for conscience and a voice for right out there do you feel that the catholic church or any church has that ability or has those voices are our voices still being silenced well that's that's a big question within the catholic church um, the question of social justice the pope is talking about social justice he's talking about poverty um, and and uh, these are issues that that are uncomfortable for some, but these are issues that you know that a religious leader has has reason to talk about. You know what is what is justice in the world, what, and where is injustice, and how do you deal with it? Do you do you say, well, that's not my area. I'm just dealing with faith. But what's the dividing line between faith and justice? You know, I don't, I don't think there is a dividing line. I think that, that they're both connected, and I think that that's what I also came up with in in, uh, in my book. You know, the, the Pope could not find where religion started and where where politics ended. I mean, this was, there was no way to avoid dealing with politics when when uh, moral justice was involved. And we're dealing with moral justice issues right now. We think of all the terrorism in the world, how religion seems to be the one big thing that pulls people apart. You know, what? You, we, I don't believe the way you believe, so you have to be wrong. It's my God. You know, I'm always right. My God's going to protect me. We pray to my God. Somehow we have to get back to the way Pius XI thought is that we are all one. We are all one people. We are all children of God. It doesn't matter who your God is, <laughs> but we're all we are all one people, and somehow that's the only way there's going to be peace in the world. We're speaking with Peter Eisner, the author of The Pope's Last Crusade, How an American Jesuit Helped Pope Pius XI's Campaign to Stop Hitler. His website, PeterEisner.com. 
How about John Lafarge? He went on to a very important career and was recognized for his his works, but he never was able to really publish the encyclical for himself because he and Gunluck had made that that commitment to each other of not to publicize it. How was he able to? I know he did a lot with Martin Luther King and he did a lot on racism and things here. Do you feel that he? Um, Although I'm sure he was really sad that he didn't just go straight to the Pope as the Pope had asked him. Do you feel that he felt he had done the right thing because he listened to his superior, which is all I, about obedience, right? What yeah, I think you've got it right. John Lafarge wrote the encyclical. The Pope said, come back and deliver it to me. And Lafarge was kind of hemmed in by obedience to his superior, the, the Jesuit, the, the head of the Jesuits, Ledikowski. And and did and was and was naive. He didn't realize that Ledikowski was actually working against him and and against the Pope. And I think that what I discovered here and, and and what really hasn't been written before was that Lafarge, in the last days of his life in 1963, um, realized that he'd been fooled and wanted the world to know it. And he told his his Jesuit colleagues at America Magazine in New York months before he died that he'd been tricked. And uh, he was sad. I think I think he he regretted that um, that he that he'd been tricked and that it, that things happened the way they did. He had a good life. He he for the rest of his life he worked on civil rights. As you said, he was uh, close to Martin Luther King. He marched in in the March on Washington in 1963. And um, at the same time, he saw a moment in 1938 where he had been brought to the center of something that really could have made a difference. And I think he was sad about that. You know, I I loved that segment, and I'm really glad that you included it in the book. Yeah, that was almost like a movie. You know, I would I'd love to see a movie of this. Actually, it was almost like a movie. The fact I can just see him sitting in a living room talking to all these other uh, Jesuits and them being mesmerized by this story the first time that it came out. But I wonder if the message was is that although they're taking these vows of chastity, obedience, and poverty, that there are moments. When maybe we have to not be so obedient and really follow what's in our gut or what's in our heart. And after all, the Pope was the number one honcho. He was the growth of cost, you know, the big cheese there in the church. And that it really had to be, especially at the end of his life, really hard to swallow to think that, that John Lafarge actually held in the palm of his hand with all that work he did the effects of the possibility of changing the outcome of history. I think you're right. John Lafarge really didn't know what the Pope was thinking, uh, but John Lafarge realized afterwards that that the Pope was there waiting and and prepared to do something that was world changing, and and it didn't happen. And um, the Pope was was the one standing against so much opposition within the Vatican. We we always think that that a Pope must be all powerful, but we see in this book that um, that the Pope is is uh, surrounded by intrigue and surrounded by by um, not only spies but by people that are that are that are cutting into the system and trying to hide things from them and trying to dissemble and and fake things and. Uh, the Pope, well, among among all here, was really one that that was really trying to change the world. The reality is, is that it doesn't matter who you are or what religion you belong to or what the hierarchy is. We are all people, 
and people have opinions and feelings and prejudices, unfortunately. And that happened in 1938 and before that, and it's still happening today. So again, the book is The Pope's Last Crusade, the author Peter Eisner. Peter, it is just so fantastic to talk to you, and this is a wonderful book that people really, really should read, at least um, now, too. What a great time when there is a new pope and there are these all these other missions you know, missions impossible that could be possible if we could just get the leadership correct. But this was a fantastic, wonderfully researched book, and I'm really glad that you wrote it, and I'm very grateful that you came on the show with us today. So thank you, Peter, for joining us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I loved it. Uh, thanks very much, Cynthia. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Peter. The Pope's Last Crusade, go to petereisner.com. Peter's also the author of The Freedom Line, and you will not be disappointed with this book. When we come back from a very, very short break, we're going to branch out into the spring garden. My name is Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back in a bit. Be the star you are. The star you What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Looking for unique, one-of-a-kind gifts for the special woman in your life? The Carmony Collection creates handmade handbags, clutches, candles, and canvases from vintage and recycled fabrics, bangles, and beads. Be eco-friendly and fashionable with prices for all pocketbooks. Visit www.carmonycollection.com. That's Carmony with a K and Collection with a K. Or call 925-785-7827. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org. Be the lucky star you the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Well, thanks for staying with us. That was such a fabulous interview, and it's just really important to get that word out about Pope Pius XI, the one pope in the last century who really and truly took a stand on something important, and he's the only pope that has not been submitted for canonization to be a saint. There's something wrong with that. So read up on Pope Pius XI and John Lafarge. Read the book, The Pope's Last Crusade. You won't be disappointed. So we're going to go into the garden now. Uh, William Carlos Williams said, A liquid moon moves gently among the long branches, thus having prepared their buds against a sure winter. The wise trees stand sleeping in the cold. Well, you know, it's turned out, at least here in California, that, that we went straight from almost fall until spring. And I know a lot of people didn't have that, but 
here in my garden, it was it, just in February, I was just filled with daffodils and crocus and flowering peaches and pears. Everything was in full bloom. Now here, and it was it's a month ahead. In in the month of May, I mean, it's it's all full with the freesias and the stock and the you know the tulips, the roses. It's a little crazy how beautiful it is this time of year. But you know, unless you're in the Sierras or back east and you're admiring the snow-clad conifers, most of us tend not to take a good look when our trees are leafless. When the deciduous trees are just bare bark, we enjoy the beautiful spring flowers or the fall foliage, but how often do you just look at the tree itself, at the branches and the bark? So, you know, when we were kids, we would always, you know, when you color a tree, it's usually brown, right? You do the trunk brown and the, the leaves green, but most trees are every color but brown. They exhibit a variety of shades from maroon and gray and yellow and orange and white. For example, I have a Japanese maple that's called a Sangokabi, Kabu, and it has striking coral red branches that absolutely glitter in the sunlight. Now, the outer bark in trees is a protection from the elements, and tree bark can come, you know, it can be smooth, textured, velvety, prickly, patchy, dull, bright. It can have thorns on it. On clear blue sky days, bark can shimmer, it can shine. And when it's set against a backdrop of evergreens, the trunks are a visual tree. And, of course, evergreen specimens are of interest as well, such as the heavily textured slivers of the redwood. But a few of my favorite trees of bark I wanted to share with you because I'd love you to go outside into a park, into your own garden, or as you're just on a walk and take a look at the bark of the trees before they all flower out or leaf out. Look at crepe myrtles. They are magnificent. Some of them are peeling, etc. The white birch, Japanese maple, the tulip magnolia, palm trees, golden chain, pear, the horse chestnut, mulberry, the walnut, olive trees, cottonwoods, and pistache. If a tree is pruned, the style in which it's pruned becomes another ornamentation. One of the most fascinating styles that I have seen is called pollarding, and it's an age-old pruning technique. It supposedly originated in Holland, and it adds so much drama and beauty to the winter scenes. It used to be used to harvest the firewood for heating and saplings for wooden shoes in Holland. And that way, what they could do is they could prune back this tree really heavily without killing the tree. And then they use these good pieces of wood to make the shoes. But today it's utilized mostly on city trees to contain the size of trees. And when it's done consistently, the tree becomes like a piece of art. But with pollen uh, pollarding, a gardener cuts back the main limbs of the tree. And then in the spring, the new shoots grow below the cuts, and then those are removed. And uh, after a few of these heavy cuttings, these big, gnarly stubs form at the top of the tree. The, the key, though, to a pollarded tree is that it has to continue to be pollarded every year, to two years, otherwise it can risk developing weak shoots that would actually push against one another, that would allow moisture to enter the wood, and eventually that would rot and kill the trees. Now, some trees that are commonly pollarded are the locust, the linden, the willow, the redbud, the mulberry, the beech, the horse chestnut, and the poplars. If you are ever in the San Francisco area, if you go 
to the Academy of Arts and Sciences and the DeYoung Museum in Golden Gate Park. Right between there in the bandstand area, there is a wonderful concourse of of pollarded trees. It's very eerie. It kind of looks like a haunted forest where the trees awaken, they talk, and they follow you around. But before the leaves do spring forth in your home forest, take a walk outside and with your camera and snap a few pictures for the anatomy of a bear tree. Look for interesting pruning techniques as you drive, you know, on your suburban or urban roads. And you want to savor the fragrance of the fruit trees in blossom because they are all in blossom right now. I know my pears, my cherries, uh, peaches, and apricots are all in blossom now. And I, because there hasn't been any rain, I think we are going to have a really great harvest. And as Catherine Atkinson said, if a bud burst into bloom every time I thought of you, all the earth would be a glorious garden. And I am thinking of you. So I want to thank you all for being great listeners, and I want to wish you a very happy Easter week. And for those of you who are on spring break, be safe and be happy. Thanks for listening to Heather and I every week here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where we are your personal growth success coaches. If you're interested in either of us speaking to you, writing for you, you know, coming to a conference or you know, on another program, you can contact me, Cynthia, at star-style.com or Cynthia at CynthiaBryan.com. Remember, you can change your life and make your dreams come true. For more information about Star Style Productions or to purchase any of my six books, visit my website, star-style.com. Or you can go to the website of the charity that brings you this radio show, be the star you are.org. And make a donation today. Don't forget to vote in the Sustainable Awards. Go to btsya.com and enter and then click on vote. We really want to win. It's only 500 bucks, but, but you can make the difference. Our aim is to encourage, inspire, inform, and motivate. And until mm-hmm. next week when we celebrate with you again, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. Hoping that you have a star-style week and you be the star you are. And most of all, happy Easter. Find all those eggs. We'll talk next week. Thank you for tuning in every week for the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Our goal is to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to reach for the stars and shine brightly. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. You're invited to our power party next week and every week right here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel with the dynamic duo, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, our health hero, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers on the planet. We'll pour more champagne for the spirit with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until we play again, be the star you are. You are.